Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest foxcasting either side of the breach. As we saw last episode, the gremlins of the bayou are not to be trifled with. Although many of their number are somewhat lacking in wit, a few have managed to rise above their natural limitations and achieve feats that would be impressive even by human standards. The inimitable Wong is one such gremlin. Wong has dedicated himself to the study of Three Kingdoms magic and has attained no small mastery of this secret art. Furthermore, he has passed some of his knowledge on to his coterie of followers, who are collectively known as lightning bugs. In this evening's story, we see what happens when Wong has to pit his skills against the mighty Ten Thunders gang. Right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breesar Broadcast is brought to you by McGilvery's Ingredient Shop. Come to McGilvery's on Quarantine Row for Malifaux's finest selection of specialty ingredients and additives. Whether you're cooking up a nice swamp rat stew or concocting a potent potion, McGilvery's will have just the thing you need to give it that extra oomph. We just got a shipment in from the Three Kingdoms. Six men died bringing us these products, but they can be yours for a low, low price. We've got dried leaping mountain fish, extra long locust legs, and ocelot liver ointment. We even have some fresh parsley in stock from Mrs. McGilvery's back garden. So come on down to Quarantine Row before it sells out or they all go mouldy. One or the other will happen eventually, so don't miss your chance. Night to Mess with Mancha Hoja by Graham Stevenson. Juice ran down Wong's chin as he munched on the peach. The flesh was sweet and tart at the same time, and incredibly succulent. This was just one of the many reasons to come to the big city, he mused, careful not to dislodge his elaborate drooping moustaches while he ate. The vendor had a spread of wares for twenty feet in either direction, which for a four foot tall gremlin is a long way and ran the full gamut of colours. There was an obvious method in the display, starting at one end with vibrant purple grapes and plums, then the tomatoes and blood oranges, then rolling through the pink and crimson peaches to the orange carrots and clementines, then those long yellowy things that looked like they might have been dropped on account of them all being bent. Wong reckoned the fella ought to have knocked something off their price, what with their being damaged and all, and the fiery sun peppers, then some fuzzy little pale critters he didn't recognise, but with the colour of swamp water, and finally into an explosion of green peppers, lettuces and apples, polished to a high shine. 
Food in the bayou tend to revolve around pork, and sometimes squirrel. But mostly pork. Boy, they ate a lot of pork. Which was why Wong loved the opportunity to travel into Malifaux every once in a while. No matter the weather, no matter the task at hand, you could always get something good to eat. The vendor had given Wong's small green body a double take when he slipped from the alley mouth to make a purchase. But his coin proved to be as good as the next man's when the vendor bit it, shrugged, and handed over the requested fruit. He ate another peach in voracious bites, and bounced a stone off the head of a lightning bug who'd sidled up close to a clump of those bent yellow things. There was a gleam in the bug's eye, and a certain twitching of fingers that suggested an act of pilfering imminent. Not that Wong had anything against stealing, per se. The hardly dead C. Lu, for example, had had his inventory shamelessly ransacked by the light-fingered gremlin. He just didn't want to get on the bad side of a purveyor of such excellent fruit and vegetables. At least not until he was good and ready. He had three of his loyal underlings with him. Sparks and Soot were brothers, who were great advocates of the lightning bug's primary role, namely to set things on fire, then blow them up, or vice versa. They were pretty flexible in this respect. There was also Spurious. He was a very strange individual. His ancestry stretched back to the very first gremlin tribes that settled in Malifaux, and as a consequence, his accent was unintelligibly thick, even to other Bayou residents. He understood what was said to him well enough, but sadly the flow of verbal information was exclusively one way. No pilfer unless Nas says so, Wong warned. The sheepish-looking Spurious rubbed his head where the peach stone had stung him. Dare enough for rough enough, he said. It was a little after ten in the morning, and the city was heaving. Everybody seemed to be in a hurry to get someplace, which was the diametric opposite of life in the bayou, where nobody was ever in a rush to go anywhere. It was a crazy and fascinating way to live, and Wong would have been happy watching the world bustling past, so long as those peaches kept coming, and on any other day he probably would have done just that. But there was a reason he'd come all the way to the big city. A reason his robes hung squint, or at least more squint than normal, under the weight of his money purse. Wong had come to Malifaux to watch the Iron Hand tournament. Every five years, the biggest and baddest wrestlers from all over congregated in Malifaux to compete for the honour of winning that trophy. And this year, Wong reckoned the title belonged to Masha Hoja. He was probably the biggest gremlin ever to come out of the bayou, bigger even than Summer Jones, and strong as an ox. Wong was so sure that Mansha Hoja had it in the bag that he'd brought with him his entire life savings and intended to put the lot in Mansha's corner. Being something of a novelty in the open streets, Wong kept to the alleys and quiet lanes, and before long had arrived at the Pantheon of the Gods, which was essentially a vast square made of black granite with a domed roof. The upper edges of this square bristled with gargoyles, now just misshapen nubs after perhaps a thousand years of erosion. The Pantheon had been standing in Malifaux for unknown centuries before it was resettled, and consisted of a single gigantic interior hall, surrounded by a ring of antechambers, and beneath the main hall was a torturous labyrinth of passages, storage rooms and deadfalls. It had supposedly been a theatre at one time, but the stage was open on all four sides, and the hall could seat thousands when at capacity, which it never was. There were upward of fifty trapdoors in the main stage alone, 
and enough rigging and canvas overhead to sail a ship. The crude seating consisted of smooth granite slabs, stepped at intervals at a height of two feet, all the way from the main stage up to the four corners of the cavernous hall. There were no balconies or boxes, but some enterprising individual had built more luxurious seating on all four sides immediately surrounding the stage, offering more comfortable viewing for a modest premium. Elbowing his way to the front of the queue, Wong grinned up at the attendant. "'Give me one of them tickets for the Iron Hand Tournament,' he said, throwing a coin on the counter. The attendant stared at him, clearly never having seen a gremlin before. Wong rolled his eyes, ripped a thick paper ticket from a huge roll and marched off in triumph, his unpaid-for companions following like a row of ducks. It was going to be an exciting night. On Mancha Hoja, Wong cried, squeezing between the legs of the shouting crowd to reach the raised platform and the odds-covered chalkboard beyond, waving his bag of coins. One of the bookmakers looked down at the green imposer with astonishment on his face. What in tarnation are you? You want my coin or not, fella? Wong inquired. The man recovered his faculties enough to ask, Mancha Hoja, you sure about that little fella? He's forty-five to one. Long odds, if you ask me. Good thing I didn't, ain't it? Wong grunted, snatching the betting slip. The confused bookie watched the strange miniature procession fight their way back through the crowd. Wong couldn't believe his luck. Mancha Hoja fought in the very first lineup, facing off against some loser called Johnny Two Trunks. Admittedly, the enormous man did look rather like he had tree trunks for legs, but Wong's favourite masked wrestler had him pinned to the canvas in seconds, using his massive shoulders and belly to crush his opponent into the dusty canvas with one of the man's arms so badly bent it might have been in a knot. Johnny Two Trunks tapped out almost immediately, and the crowd cheered. Barely five minutes into the contest, the Mancha Hoja was already into the quarterfinals. The next few matches were unimpressive, and Wong relaxed further, now absolutely certain that nothing could get between his wrestling idol and victory. Sparks, Soot, and Spurious were all crowded together at his feet, steadily chanting Mancha Hoja, irrespective of whether the wrestler was actually on stage at the time. Wong watched Pudding Jim demolish a malnourished-looking thunderbolt and hooted in derision at the underwhelming Papa Loco, who barely managed to scrabble his way to a win against Ratchet Aloha. Separated from his wooden leg less than a minute into the match, yet still threatening to overcome his wheezing opponent. Death's Head came next, who was initially very impressive in his black robes and sheepskull helmet, at least until his helmet was twisted off and used to club him unconscious by the bristling bearded mountain man. Wong made a mental note to watch that one. Stonejaw Willis was crushed rather predictably by the crusher, and Fangs McGee had his teeth punched out by Swoop Digby, who wore an unconvincing albatross costume but had fists the size of boulders, and Constrictor Pete was stretched off after tangling with Bright Tongue, an absolutely enormous but remarkably slow wrestler wearing a burlap sack and a bowler hat of all things. Wong was giggling to himself with each successive match, 
None of the contestants, save perhaps that hairy elf mountain man, possessed anything like the strength and skill of Mancho Hoja. It was almost a foregone conclusion that he would take home the Iron Hand trophy, and Wong would take back as much loot as he could carry. That is, until Black Cloud slithered into the ring. He was facing off against one of the crowd favourites, Duck Bill, and at first glance he didn't look all that. It was only when Wong saw his corner team that his hackles began to rise. He didn't need to see the tattoos hidden under their clothes to mark them as Ten Thunders men. Gambling in Ten Thunders in one place meant only one thing. Corruption. Wong leaned forward and scrutinized Duck Bill as he clambered through the ropes and limbered up. He was so called because of his prominent upper lip that he'd probably been born with, but it was often suggested that he'd been swung around by that lip as a child, now leading to its excessive size. Duck Bill was well known in these parts, and the crowd welcomed him warmly. Compared to Black Cloud, he was about six inches shorter and more than a hundred pounds lighter. On any other day, Wong would have felt safe putting his money on Duck Bill. But today something was off. His eyes looked unfocused, and he dragged his feet as he walked across the canvas to the centre of the ring. It looked like a man just woken from a deep sleep. As a matter of fact, he looked drugged. Wong growled. It was just his luck that he'd put his money on Manjahoja to romp home against this crowd of has-beens and part-timers, and the Ten Thunders showed up to stack the odds in their favour. He watched Duck Bill's ignoble defeat as the quicker black cloud danced around him, jabbing and kicking his dazed opponent until he dropped him to the canvas with a leg sweep and choked him out. The crowd was on its feet and booing by this time, but nothing could be done, and certainly nothing could be proved. Poor hapless Duck Bill was dragged out, and Black Cloud retired victorious with his cluster of smirking handlers. Wong clenched his fists angrily. There was no way he was going to sit here and watch his idol have his chance of victory thwarted by those criminals. Grabbing the three-demon bag, he surged to his feet. Varmints, he snapped. Get your butts over here. I got a job for y'all. Boss, what's going on? Soot whispered as they hurried down into the belly of the Pantheon. The Ten Thunders, that's what's going on. Wong retorted. Them skunks are looking to clean out the bookies and take Mancha's trophy, and I ain't gonna let that happen. Wong had seen the odds of Black Cloud when he'd put his money down earlier. Eighty-five to one. The chances of such a novice wrestler going all the way against the likes of Mancha Hoja or Duck Bill were astronomically low, hence the numbers. But now Duck Bill was flat on his back, and Black Cloud was through to the quarterfinals, and his next opponent might well be Mancha. The lower levels were in a state of upheaval, both with the various crews getting their wrestler greased and limbered for his next match, and the gossiping outrage of Black Cloud having steamrolled the veteran Duck Bill with so little apparent effort. So Wong and his acolytes were able to slip past Pantheon security and ding amongst the fighter stables unnoticed. All right, boys, Wong said as he pulled them in for a huddle. We gotta keep them Ten Thunders goons away from Manchahoja's stable. They get in there, they'll drug him or worse, and I aim to see that trophy in his hands at the end of the night. Understand? Yes, boss, nodded Sparks. I'm with you, boss, chipped in Soot, 
Grip Waller, said Spirius. Wong rolled his eyes. But you gotta keep it low profile, understand? He pressed on. No blasting everything to bits. You start that down here, and they'll probably cancel the whole tournament, and that'd be bad. He showed his small, sharp teeth, so the lightning bugs understood just how bad it'd be. Gotcha, boss, said Sparks. Understood, agreed Soot. Mufulapurawala, said Spurious. All right. Sparks and Soot, you cover the door in a mansion's stable. Anyone heading that way that looks suspicious, you head him off. Spurious, you come with me. He scurried off into the busy throng with his fellows in tow. Sparks and Soot linked arms and glowered purposefully down the corridor, ready for all comers. Mancha sat on the bench, squeezing his huge hands into fists, while Guillermo massaged oil into the back of his neck. Won't be long now, Mancha, his manager was saying. We got it made, baby. No matter which one of these burrows they put you up against, you're gonna walk it. Whatever you say, Mr. Suez. That's right, baby, Mr. Suez continued, switching a cigar from one corner of his mouth to the other. You got la estilo, you got el masculo. You got last sense yet to be the champion, baby. I saw you out there tonight, Mancha, agreed Guillermo. You broke that Johnny Two Trunks like a twig, man. You peligrosa, mi hermano. Mancha nodded. He had been surprised at how easily Johnny Two Trees had caved in. He'd been expecting a much harder first fight in such a prestigious location. There were other formidable wrestlers in this contest, like Mountain Man and the bizarre Swoop Digby, but he'd heard the bookie's favourite, Duck Bill, was out of the competition already, taken out by an unknown called Black Cloud. It was looking as though sensible predictions were out the window. All he could do now was wait to be told when he was back in the ring for the quarter-final, and wait he did. After a while, Mr. Suez glanced at the door impatiently. "'Who was running this show?' he complained. "'They said five minutes, ten minutes ago. "'We're professionals. "'I got a finely tuned resting machine here.' They expect us to wait forever? You want me to go find out what's happening, Mr. Suez? volunteered Guillermo. You're a good boy, the manager said, clapping the side of the short gremlin's face. You go tell them that Manja Hoja is ready. Guillermo ducked out into the corridor, and was surprised to find two gremlins dressed in shabby robes, alternately stuffing a competition official into a water trough and beating him with a broom handle. The stuffer suddenly noticed Guillermo. Oh, hey, he said, jerking away from the trough and trying to nonchalantly lean against the wall, his robe soaking. The other gremlin continued to whack the squirming official with the broom until his buddy nudged him hard. He turned around, arms over his head to deliver another blow and froze. Ah, howdy, he said. Hola, Guillermo nodded cautiously. How... how you guys doing? Good... I'm good, said the gremlin, leaning on the broom, a touch out of breath. You? The competition official struggled out of the water trough, coughing and retching, his head and shoulders a patchwork of red broom welts. You're crazy, he gasped, staggering to the far side of the corridor, his arms raised defensively. What's the matter with you people? Uh, excuse me, senor, Guillermo said to the quivering official. 
Do you know when Mancha Hojad is due on stage? Now! He's meant to be on now! The man cried, holding his aching head. I was on my way to tell you when these two maniacs said about me. The two gremlins suddenly looked stricken. Guillermo nodded. That's great. I'll go tell him. He slipped back into the dressing room before anything else strange happened. Hey, he said as Mancha and Mr. Suez looked up. There's two gremlins out there knocking the tire out of some guy. Mr. Suez clapped his hands in glee. You see, Mancha? You're such an inspiration, those gremlins want to be you, baby. Wong had skulked all the way to Black Cloud's dressing room with Spurious in tow. It turned out that the room was adjacent to the steam room, and with a lot of grunting and a helpful shove from his companions, he was able to wedge himself between some copper piping and get one ear and one eye pressed up against a grating that fed through to the other room. In there he could see the corner men milling around with their robes opened. Each man was covered in ceremonial Ten Thunders tattoos. Black Cloud himself sat cross-legged on his bench, eyes closed, strapped fists raised. A bent old shaman stood before him, chanting and ringing a cymbal in meditative rhythm. As Wong watched, Faint serpentine threads of green smoke drifted through the air and curled around the wrists, knuckles and fingers of the slim wrestler. Wong was grinning to himself. He was no stranger to kingdom magic, and recognized jade viper cloud enchantments when he saw them. Any bare skin struck by black cloud's fists over the next few minutes would be struck by a powerful toxin, one that would leave no trace, of course. Well, two could play that game, he thought. Squirming and squeezing his way back out of the pipe cluster, he grabbed Spurious and hauled him close. That ten thunder shaman in there is using magic to give Black Cloud an edge, he explained. I'm going to armor a boy Mancha with all the counter curses he needs to make sure that edge don't work. Understand? Book Huey, Spurious nodded. There ain't no way to know the fight line up before they get called out, so I need you to stay here and watch what enchantments he uses before each fight then come tell me at Mancha's dressing room. That way I can put the counterspells on just in case. Got it? Gonna furly pull the hoo-boo, watch you come at you, said Spurious. Wong paused. Right, he said uncertainly. Spurious gave a double thumbs up and grinned, showing his yellow teeth. Your who again? Mr. Suez asked at the door. Where do ringside right now? Competition doctor, Wong lied, holding his three demon bag in front of him like a doctor's valise. I need to examine each contestant before the fight. Manja don't need no doctor, Mr. Suez said. Manja's like the machine, he don't get sick. Competition rules, Wong said apologetically. He can't fight till I says he's fit for it. He didn't get checked by no doctor before his first fight, Mr. Suez said, brow furrowing. That's because, Wong tried to think fast, because I'm checking there's no injury stopping him from his next fight. He wouldn't have no injuries before his first fight, because he hadn't been in no fight, you see. The manager didn't look convinced, but he stepped back, swinging the door wider to admit the doctor. Wong bowed briefly and stepped inside, 
and almost swallowed his tongue with excitement. There he was, Manchahoja in all his glory, bouncing on the balls of his feet ready for the ring. His huge physique and spangly mask were even more impressive in real life than in the selection of wrestlers of Malifaux cards he had back in his shack. Even his cape was impressive. Good evening, Mr. Hoja, he croaked, trying to look vaguely professional when he felt the manager's suspicious eyes on his back. And how is we feeling tonight? Strong, Muncher said, which drew a murmur of agreement from his corner crew. Oh, good, very good, he said, rummaging through his bag, visions of riches dancing before his eyes. A few taps of monkey finger and a smear of hazelnut and ocelot liver ointment on the fists should be enough to counteract the jade viper cloud, he determined. Mr. Suez stopped over his shoulder, frowning intently while Wong tapped Mancha's huge fists with a petrified digit and started smearing an evil-smelling paste around his wrists. What kind of doctor are you? he asked. Spirit doctor, Wong said absently, putting the finishing touches on the ocelot paste protection. A what? Competition rules, I'm afraid, Wong apologized, closing his bag with a snap. There, y'all done to a turn, Mr. Hozier. The manager hustled Mancher away with no more than a backwards glance of irritation, past the two grinning gremlins at the water trough. Right, you two, Wong snapped, hurrying over. No one gets in this dressing room while they're away. Where are you going? Sparks asked. Wong stared after the receding bulk of Mancher. I'm going to watch a fight. Wong had barely managed to scramble back to his seat when Mancha entered the ring for the second time. One glance at the wallboard told him Papa Loco had been derailed by Mountain Man and the Crusher had been dispatched by Swoop Digby already. Mancha was in the ring with Pudding Jim, and Wong could relax for a few minutes, secure in the knowledge that Mancha could flatten his opponent blindfolded with both arms tied behind his back, and there was no danger of his hero falling foul of Black Cloud's toxic fists even with the precautions Wong had already taken. Magic was a fickle thing, after all. It was over in less than a minute, with Pudding Jim being pummeled into the canvas and carried out by his corner crew, while Mancha Hoja saluted the crowd. No sooner had the ring been cleared than the enormous bright tongue was assisted over the ropes by his twelve-strong corner crew. Wong suspected someone that vast took a lot of oiling up before a fight. Black Cloud appeared at the other side of the ring, his venomous hands darting as he limbered up. As soon as the bell rang, Black Cloud shot forward and landed several lightning strikes against Bright Tun's face and chest. Wong thought he could detect the faint greenish puffs as the blows landed. Bright Tun took a single step backwards, looking stunned. The audience sensed something had happened, and the volume in the hall raised several notches. Black Cloud dropped low and tried to leg-sweep his opponent, but Bright Tun was so stupendously heavy that Black Cloud's leg simply bounced off three times. Finally, Black Cloud took a run from the far end of the ring and shoulder-charged his now clearly paralyzed opponent. Even with the additional momentum, it barely proved enough to shift Bright Tun's center of gravity. Slowly, so slowly, the immobile giant keeled over backwards and fell into the ropes, which stretched like elastic under his weight. He toppled right out of the ring and onto the ground while the crowd roared, although it was uncertain whether this was through elation or anger. 
Black Cloud waited for the countout, which seemed a formality, as Bright Tun hadn't so much as blinked an eye since he'd been hit, accepted the referee's win declaration, and swaggered out of the ring against a growing tide of hissing and booing. It was becoming clear to them there was something very fishy about this unknown from the Three Kingdoms, and the crowd didn't like it. Back in the tunnels outside the dressing rooms, Wong found Sparks and Soot pounding a semi-conscious old woman with broom handles. Where'd y'all get that second broom from? he asked. You only had one a minute ago. It's hers, boss, panted Soot, nodding at the woman. Wong looked at the dazed old soul in her rough dress and apron, a selection of cloths and soap blocks tied around her middle with string. She's a cleaner, you idiots, he said. Let her go. Just then, Spurious trotted into view. Here he is, Wong grinned, pleased that the plan was coming together. Why did y'all see? Basho koko kiku wern, Spurious said. Humundurn a hoo hull a burf murf and boy a hoodoo. Wong just looked at him. Mahawi, Spurious elaborated. Choke a powie burf borf. There was an awkward silence. This ain't gonna work, Wong said. Spurious began making frantic motions, jiggling and spinning around the place while the others watched. Oh wait, that looks like uh, a monkey dance charm. He did a monkey dance charm? Spurious nodded vigorously and continued capering. And let me see now. Is that... Oh, I see. A 50-punch hurricane, okay. Anything else? Right, that's maybe a... A locust leg kick. Okay, I got it. Spurious sat down, breathing hard. Snatching up his bag, Wong stormed into Mancha's dressing room again, conscious that there wasn't much time to lay on enough counterspells before his idol would be called up to fight again. What the... You again? Mr. Suez complained. Hey, baby, that nasty stuff you smeared on his wrists has... has stained his costume. Who pays to have that cleaned? Excuse me. Wong bustled past the grumbling manager and dropped his three-demon bag beside Mancha, already fishing for the first of many ingredients. "'What now?' Mr. Suez exclaimed, watching the doctor holding out an assortment of odd-looking implements. "'We don't have time for this baby. Mancha has to be ready. "'Tentrado, you know?' "'Oh, he'll be ready,' Wong said over his shoulder. "'Let me see now. Leaping mountain fish.' He shook the pungent trout at the wrestler, leaving droplets of fishy oil on his chest and ample gut. You're breaking his concentration, baby. We got two more matches to win. Oh, he's gonna, believe me, Wong reassured the manager absently, rattling two handfuls of sticks at Mancha. Spirit Ash Warrior Bunches, he muttered, mentally ticking off the counterspells. There's something wrong with you, baby. You're no doctor. There was a commotion building outside. Hey, let go of... Oof! Ow! Stop that! cried a voice from the corridor. Ow! Uh, Mr. Hoja! Ow! Mr. Hoja, you're up next! Would you please... Hey! Would you make your way to... Ah! Stop hitting me with that broom! Let's go, baby, Mr. Suez snapped, trying to shove Wong to one side. Enough with the mumbo-jumbo! Fried leaping lizard tail, Wong shrieked, slapping the confused wrestler across the shoulder with the crispy appendages before he was pushed out of range by Mr. Suez and Guillermo. 
You're loco, baby, Mr. Suez said as they left. Packing his bag hastily, Wong raced back out of the corridor to find another competition official trying to fend off broom attacks from his guard gremlins. Get off him, you pair of dummies, he snapped. And you got no sense at all. Suspicious types, I says. The two brothers looked dubiously at one another. I ain't got time for this, Wong moaned, hurrying back upstairs to the hall and wondering how his day could possibly have gone so wrong so quickly. Frustratingly, Mancha was matched against Mountain Man. Wong was still keen to see how his favourite wrestler would handle a competent opponent, of course, but it meant all the protection had been for nothing. It was the first real match of the evening, and the crowd loved it, roaring their support for the two brawny athletes as they tussled and struggled. Mountain Man proved a match for Mancha in strength, but the latter had the upper edge in technique, and finally, in the third round, Mancha got his opponent into a brutal leglock pin that Mountain Man couldn't have escaped from with a crowbar. The crowd was ecstatic, and chants of Mancha Hoja filled the hall. No sooner was the ring cleared than a few preemptive boos were heard. Sure enough, Black Cloud took the stage with his smug-looking corner crew against Swoop Digby in his outlandish bird outfit. Wong would have loved to see the eccentric wrestler triumph, but a supernatural flurry of punches and kicks delivered in the first thirty seconds left him unconscious on the canvas, while Black Cloud sauntered back to his corner through a swirl of feathers. Again, the crowd vocalized their disapproval of the outcome, but the judgment had been made. Black Cloud was through to the final. And then something Wong hadn't expected happened. An announcer took to the ring, quieted the crowd, and announced that due to claims of foul play during the competition, the final match of the evening would be held immediately, without further preparation or dressing room time. Black Cloud's corner crew went into an urgent huddle, and Wong could see the little shaman fumbling in his cloak for some off-the-cuff enchantments. I gotta get down there, he told himself. By the time he had bitten and elbowed his way ringside, the fight was on. Mancha already had his hands on a smaller black cloud and was throwing him into the ropes and corner posts, but Wong saw the little shaman throw a handful of red powder onto his boy as he bounced past. Red dragon powder, huh? Wong hissed, thrusting his hand into his three demon bag as the Ten Thunders wrestler began to shimmer with heat. We'll just see about that. How'd you like some winter blizzard petals? Black Cloud's heat distortion vanished. Mancha, who'd been backing away in surprise at the sudden wall of heat, launched forward and took his opponent around the middle, driving them both into the centre canvas. The shaman was waving something at the struggling pair. Four-headed fatten snake, huh? Wong scoffed as Black Cloud's limbs suddenly coiled around the surprised Mancha like tentacles. Gotta try harder than that. Eat some brittle monkey tail. The Three Kingdoms fighter suddenly cried out in pain his limbs twisting into jagged, arthritic shapes. Mancha began pounding on him with his huge fists. The turmoil went on back and forth. Oh, wise owl wing, huh? Have some squealing pig trotter. Sleeping manis, flaming tarantula cake. Divine egg punch, smoking tiger shoe. Back and forth, the two wrestlers surged, with the crowd on its feet, oblivious to the frantic battle outside the ring as well as in. Sweat flew from the end of Wong's nose as he threw potion after enchantment into the ring, his three-demon bag almost empty, 
his moustache having slid down closer to his chin than his upper lip due to the perspiration. But still he fought on. There was no way that two-bit shaman was going to get the better of him. The battle might have continued indefinitely, had Spurious not strode past him and around the other side of the ring, tapped the little shaman on the shoulder, and when he turned around, decked him with a huge haymaker punch. An instant later, Mancha followed suit, with a roaring panda belly-fueled punch that lifted Black Cloud clear out of the ring and deposited him in the fourth row. The crowd didn't even wait for the bell. They stormed the ring and hoisted the triumphant wrestler onto their shoulders, screaming his name. Wong was knocked out of the way and ended up in a heap against the judge's table, robes askew, hat over one eye. When he finally collected himself and straightened his hat, he found Spurious standing over him. The gremlins grinned and shrugged. Put Nabooya, he said philosophically. it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for more Tales of Malifaux.